You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show. And today I sit down with Simon Lovell. Simon is somebody who intrigued me because of his transformation story and um, and his courage to open up and really, frankly, just lay it all out on the table and say, look, this is what I've dealt with, this is what I've gone through, and here's the lessons that I learned. Um, it's one of the reasons why he's become a very powerful transformation coach that gets real results with people um, because he's just super raw and very real. Um, he shares some things on this call about bullying at a young age, uh, some of the addictions that he's got into. And uh, again, it's, it's his willingness to kind of open up and share that part of his story that um, allows people to see that somebody else has gone through some difficult things and, uh, and, and come on out, out on the other side. Another thing that we talk about is the success that he's had with his businesses and how the external abundance really um, didn't, you know, he didn't find happiness in that. So um, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from Simon's life and his story. And, uh, and then obviously with some of the stuff that he's doing now with True Transformation, his transformation program. Um, so with that, without further ado, let's dive into the call now. Here I am with Simon Lovell. All right, I'm here with Simon Lovell. Simon, thanks for being on the call, man. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm excited to open this conversation today. Yeah, I, uh, you know, you and I have um, known of each other, I think, uh, in the Tony Robbins world. We got connected there. You've, you've gone to several of his events. I have too. And um, so I've seen you on Facebook. We're friends on Facebook, of course. But um, you posted something recently that talked about your journey and where you started. And um, it, it reminded me actually of the hero's journey. I won't get into that just at the moment, but um, before we, before I blabble too much, tell uh, my listeners who you are, a little bit about your background. Uh, well, my name is Simon Lovell and I've, you know, always been an entrepreneur, always been someone who's wanted to, you know, um, start a business. And I, you know, my journey really started at school when I got bullied. You know, I think a lot of us have gone through that, you know, heavy bullying Maybe, maybe not. At the age of 13, I had it pretty severe, you know, from the age of 13 to 16. I kind of had to isolate myself away. And I'm sure for a lot of people listening or, you know, yourself, you know, it's that we look back and then suddenly we can realize why we are the way that we are today or why the way that we've evolved that way. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a lot of my younger years isolating myself through this bullying. And then I can, that kind of, I guess, sparked the entrepreneur in me. I loved video games. Um, and I was writing video games magazines when I was really young and in fact pestered my way into a job at the age of 16 working on national video games. And then through that, you know, came out of that career and I reached this crossroad in my life where I lost my girlfriend, my house at the time and, you know, had that conversation with parents and you know, what are you going to do, son? So I was like, I was training in the gym at the time and they, and they said, why don't you become a personal trainer? So I did that and I went to Cyprus for three months and got the physical shape and got the body together. And I came back and I just had a spring in my step, you know, I was, you know, just, you know, got seven clients in my first week. And, um, I love training people. I love helping people get fit. Um, but the truth was, was that at the same time as getting fit and getting healthy, like I was sabotaging my, my life is actually another personal trainer that introduced me to cocaine at the time. And I, I, I had these addictions. I had addiction to cocaine. I was binge drinking every weekend. I was gambling. I can remember, you know, you get one hit on gambling and 
six made six thousand dollars and of course i was hooked and then more and more money i racked up seven credit cards all maxed out pretty much maxed out and then there was this one turning point and it was it was so clear it was um it was christmas 2010 and i've been doing drugs the night before my i looked in the mirror my eyes were kind of bloodshot you know just sweating dripped down my face and and i had to be at my sister's house for um for christmas at 11 o'clock and i was still partying you know so i was like what am i gonna do got in called a taxi went around and i i went in i said my hellos and then i walked upstairs and i got into my nephew's bed the kids were downstairs at the time and i just slept all the way through christmas day you know and i left that day ashamed of myself of like what the hell are you doing? You know? And it was just this massive, like there was this massive voice. Right. And, and if you've got into self-development and you're in personal development, you'll know the difference between, you know, that, that, that conscious mind. And then the voice that comes from somewhere else, which was like, what the F are you going to do? Right. And then, you know, what happens is, is when we make a decision and we go, do you know what? I'm going to make a change. Then an opportunity comes around. And, and that's what happened to me. I, an opportunity came around. My friend said, my girlfriend's moved out. Do you want to move in? So I changed my environment. I moved, I actually stepped away and I started to change the environment that I was in. And that really started my kind of personal development journey where I started to invest in myself and I started to then reinvest that money into growing a business. And, you know, I, I had the dream of making you know, millions of dollars. And I put a vision board together in 2013 with a Ferrari and a, and a house in La Jolla, California. And, and I got everything that I wanted, everything that was on that vision board I got. It was material. But it wasn't enough. I, I got the Ferrari, I moved to California, and then I got into a bigger house with a basketball court, 1.5 acres. Mm. I still wasn't happy. And... It was through that experience of like removing masks and really like getting to the point where I got everything to actually realize that it wasn't really what I wanted. And so I had to go and go even deeper. And I, so I had this massive spiritual awakening, which was this, this video that I captured live on Facebook where I, I just integrated. I found home. I found the real Simon Lovell. Like I, no longer was I asking the question, where am I leading people to? Like, because I wasn't happy. I, like, I found home. And in that moment, like, my ego fell away. I stopped comparing myself to other people. Nothing was effort. You know, I had a big drinking problem for a long time because every time I went to drink, I, I went to a party and I would drink to fit in, you know? And it was so uncomfortable because I wanted to deeply connect with people, but I couldn't. I couldn't win. I would go to a party and I would go anxious because there's lots of people. And then I would drink to try and fit in. And then I would get more anxious from the drinking. And so no one got to experience the real Simon Lovell. I, I went and I was anxious. And then when I drank, I wasn't myself. So I, no, no one could win. No one experienced me. Mm. And so through this like releasing of shame and, and owning myself and working on myself and letting go of the things that I had built up as, a, as an entrepreneur and, and decided that that wasn't me, then I had this awakening and it was just like, like I snapped. I snapped and I, and I reached this massive place of inner joy that brought tears to my eyes. And I, I for some reason, I don't know whether it's because I was like, you know, you know, doing Facebook lives for so often, but I was like, something's freaking happening. I have to like go live, but I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. And the reason I'm glad I did was because that video, which has been shared like, 
you know, I don't know, like 20,000 times or something, but, um, or views, whatever it is. But that video gave people a lot of permission to, to, to see what it's like for someone to, over, to go through that experience. And it's still kind of unexplainable, but my life is just so different now. I just look at the world differently. I look at business differently. I just look at so many things differently. And, and it, it's like healing the little boy, the little boy that needed validation and little boy that was just wanted to be accepted, you know? Yeah. So that's like the, the short version. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, it sort of uh, gives us the, the overview and now I want to dive in if you're, if you're willing to go there. Um, why don't we start at the very beginning? What, what was your family life like growing up? So um, I, what I thought I experienced as family was normal family life, you know? But what I experienced later on looking back was, you know, parents who always argued, you know? Um, and me, you know, not really not really going into school and being like fitting into to what everyone else did. You know, I didn't really play sports. I didn't really do what the other kids used to do, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was kind of like the geek, you know? So, you know, the, the early years were tough, you know, those, I, I think things changed really around that age of 13 when I went into like big school, you know? Okay. And then and I just, you're, you're, where are you from? Uh, Exeter in, in the UK originally. And okay. I now live in the States. So. And did you grow up there? I grew up in England, yeah. yeah. Okay. Up until, um, you know, my late, uh, late 30s when I moved. Okay. So what uh, you said around, right around 13 was when, was that when the bullying really started to kick in? Yeah, I was, um, I didn't really play sports, but so they kind of forced us into playing sports. You know, they gave us these black plimsolls and you had to wear like a black t-shirt and like do rounders and play games and there was this one um, incident in the shower where basically the, the sports had finished and uh, I went to have a shower. I walked into the shower and, you know, there's always a kid at school who's like the, you know, the, the kind of tough kid or the, you know, the, the, the kind of the rugby player that every, all the girls liked. So I brushed past this guy and then he basically told, he, he said I touched him, which I didn't, I didn't do. I just brushed past him. So in the top of his voice, he shouted, guys, everyone, he just touched me. And so in, imagine that you're 13 years old. You've got like, there's probably 50 kids in the, in the, in the area getting changed. And then the lead or the, the most respected kid at school basically says this thing. And then all of the other boys then basically start putting their backs to the wall saying like, don't, don't do it to me. So my heart's racing. I'm 13 years old. I'm like key developmental stage, you know? And I left that day thinking to myself, that was really fucking shit. But I didn't, but I was hoping and, and, and wishing that that was it. But when I came in school the next day and I went to my first class, I can picture it very clearly. I walked to class and as I walked to class, there's always a line going into the room. The, the guys had their backs to the wall. And I was like, now my life's going to be hell at school. And it was, and it, it was painful every day going to school every day fearing, you know, that's where truly I believe that my fight or flight was activated later on in life because I was always protecting myself. Nobody was safe to me because if I was to go and make friends, would they know about what happened? I wouldn't make friends, you know, 
So, you know, those years, 13 to 16, I, I put myself away. I didn't really go to classes. I just played video games. I wrote my video games magazine, Megabyte, and we put it together. And I kind of like developed my entrepreneur that side. And it was kind of like, I'm going to work hard and like stick my fingers up to the bullies and be successful. Mm. I didn't realize that at the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, no one was safe. You know, I would go up into, 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 into town we call it town or, you know, malls over here. Right. But I would go up into town and like, I would just get punched and kicked, you know, and people would just change. I was always on, I was always protecting myself. And so no wonder in later years, I wanted to become a personal trainer, get fit, build muscle, yeah. you know, and I've known, I've, I've known a lot, sorry to interrupt, but I've known a lot of personal trainers who, or, you know, you go to the gym and you see guys that are just jacked and ripped and I've um, gotten to know a a handful of them and it's surprising how many of them are motivated to get to that point because of the fact that they were bullied abused uh you know taken advantage of etc yeah uh, now that was my journey you know and, and that's why i actually became a you know a trainer because i wanted to you know get fit and healthy but also really that's about building confidence mm-hmm. but the truth is that and i i posted about this which is you know the physical body transformation it goes well, well beyond physical because as much as I built a great body and ate well, it didn't deal with my real shit. It didn't deal with like the emotional stuff I had to bring up. It didn't deal with the trauma that I'd gone through. And in adult life, we're still dealing with our trauma of our childhood because it's all subconscious. You know, when we're bringing, we try and be present, but we're bringing those old experiences back, back into the present moment and living them now. And so all of our reactions, all of my reactions to things later in life, my codependent relationships, my addictions, my, um, my struggles, my pains, like, you know, a lot of that was because of things that I hadn't dealt with. And so I had to go deep. I had to go deep into the jungle and do plant medicines and do my, you know, deep meditation and go through like releasing all of this stuff. And it's, you know, a lot of people say, you know, what is true transformation? Like, how do you shift how do you go from being one person to another it's fucking immersion it's not like one thing you do a hypnotherapy summit session and then you're like healed no you immerse and you commit to dealing with and solving with whatever you got to do so that means listening to your intuition and if you get you know you're not skeptical and if you get uh, an opportunity to do something you use that inner guidance voice and you go do you know what this may help me and you try it and some things work some things don't but I believe that everything has led us on this path. You know, we talk about Tony Robbins a lot and Tony's done so much for me, but also like Tony opens the door to a lot of other things in which we can go deeper, mm-hmm. you know? So some things that we go to, they're entertaining and they're fun, but do we really do the work? And so that's up to us to go deeper into it and not suppress it and not put it to the back of my mind or our minds like debt, for example. I had a lot of debt for years and I pushed that to the back of my mind. Okay, and let's ignore it, and let's ignore it, and let's ignore it. And so it creeps up, right? If we don't bring it to the surface and admit the truth, then we can't deal with it. And so many people, especially guys, they don't want to deal with the emotion of facing it. If mm-hmm. I look at this, if I talk about this, if I express this, this is going to bring up these feelings for me which are alien. Just like connecting, looking someone in the eye. I couldn't look people in the eye. I had social anxiety. Why? Because if I looked at someone in the eye, maybe that meant something. What's that gonna, what feelings is that going to create? Are people going to see me? And we're all craving to be seen. We're all craving to be heard. And once we fully own our story for everything that's happened to us, once we fully own it and we can speak it, and this is what I talk about in my book, The, the Black Ball, 
once we can fully own our story, we're to the level of that we wouldn't mind talking about it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. That's when we can, well, on TV, that's when we can actually start to integrate and find home and find our true selves. Mm. Um, about the bullying, um, what was the, what was, you mentioned some of the physical abuse that you dealt with. What was, what was the most difficult thing that you dealt with during that time? Do you recall? Um, the fear, you know, it was just the fear all the time. Like it wasn't necessarily the instance or getting punched or kicked because I could recover from it, but it was the daily fear of what's going to happen. It was, did, this... you, did you bring this up with your parents? No, uh. no, I couldn't. I didn't want to just like the drugs, just like anything, because I was scared of, again, scared of admitting the truth, of of feeling like I was weak, like I couldn't handle it, Mm. you know? So it was was difficult, but it made me who I am today to want to help people. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, that the more pain that we go through, I truly believe that the more we want to help people, you know, because we don't like... Whether, whether we argue with people, whether we, we, we talk negatively about religion or Trump or like whatever it is, like I believe that we all have the ability to care about one another. And that's why we all have the ability to grow and come Absolutely. out and go into a different level of consciousness. Because all that this is about, my awakening, is about going from a certain level of awareness to a different level of awareness, which is spiritual consciousness. And and like becoming the, the catalyst to change because when we commit to healing ourselves we can't even fathom the impact that that has when you then go and have a child or then you impact a parent or yeah. then you like because your being is different the energy that you emit is different you know and so healing ourselves and committing to that and not putting it off is changing like generations Absolutely. I had a call with um, <clears throat> a fascinating guy. He wrote a book called The Intentional Legacy. His name is David, David McElvaney. And he, in the book, it's, it's a book about um, legacy from a financial standpoint mm. and passing down wealth from generation to generation, how to do it uh, uh, effectively. And, um, but the, a lot of the book is about psychology and a lot of the book is about relationships and people and mm. how do you manage that part of it. And I was fascinated at the beginning part of the book. He talks about two examples, um, true examples of, of, uh, let me close that. So I'm not getting pinged. Um, two examples of one person, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but one person in the 1800s, uh, early 1800s, that was a criminal and how that lineage created generations of crime of abuse of all this stuff that that there's now hundred literally today hundreds of people that have struggled with that and then he talks about another person who um i forget exactly the story but ended up becoming a leader in his day and how that created generations of hundreds of Mm -hmm. uh politicians public servants executives leadership coaches that magnitude over time is incredible and so i often think about that when somebody's really struggling and when they think about um i mean i've i've we've gone to some dark places in some of my conversations where people are talking about suicide and this that or whatever but like when you think of the ramifications of the impact that you make by the choices that you make it's 
even if you even if you feel completely isolated and alone, even if you feel like um, there's nothing else, there's so much power in making that choice to do something constructive, productive, um, serving yourself to to pull yourself out of that because it it does impact so many more generations that we don't even really realize. It's it's pretty phenomenal when you think about it. Well. I- you know, you say that and, and it brings up a couple of things for me. One is like being on autopilot. So when I was a trainer, like I was just being on autopilot, doing what everyone else did, you know? Um, and I think it's when we're in the delusion that life can't be any different. Like this yeah. is the way that it is, right? This is how life is. And when we don't think that we have the ability to make a change, we're not going to make a change. Of course we're not. Mm-hmm. We don't feel like we have the resources. Everything's energy. If we don't feel like we have the resources within us to change anything, we're not going to do anything about it because we're comfortable. Well, and and it, it, everything is energy, but it goes, it, it manifests itself into our uh, uh, material experience, right? Into our, into our bodies. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with Dr. Joe Dispenza. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and he, you know, he and other neuroscientists will often talk about the actual connections, the, the neurotic pathways in your brain and how those affect, you know, the chemical release in your body, how they affect your, your belief. And so you talk about being stuck. It, it, it's, it's actually, you know, certain pathways in your brain that, that have become so conditioned to fire a certain way that it's difficult to get up. Like you were saying, you go to a party, you're self-aware enough to know that like I'm trying to fit in. Like, you know what your intentions are and yet your habits are conditioned to stay in a certain way and you couldn't break free from that. So uh, it's fascinating. So let's go there for just a second. You talked about this awakening that you had and then you went live on Facebook. Do you, what was that awakening or at least what led up to it? Because I know sometimes it's hard to to pinpoint exactly what that was, but, um, Give us a little bit more detail around that. So, you know, I had built this company from zero to a million in 18 months or whatever, you know, the, the numbers are, those kind of numbers. And I'd always dreamed of that when I was very young. And I'd always dreamed of the Ferrari and I'd always dreamed of the, the, the things, right? And every time I got them, I, I didn't realize at the time, but they were so linked to my self-worth. You know, like I would drive, I can remember, I did a post about this the other day, but I would drive that car around La Jolla just to drive it around so that people would look at me, right? And then I would park it outside the house so that when people came around, they would think differently. And so it was like, it was always about me seeking validation. And so it got to this point where, you know, like, suddenly you start to get like a soul calling of like, what's really important to me. Like I go out into nature and like feel like, Oh, this is feels different and it feels good. And the more I built up, the more I felt out of alignment. Does that make sense? Like the more I got, like the more things felt, fell off. Sure. And so I just went through this process of letting go and, you know, achievement looks up. So it's so we're always in the, as entrepreneurs, we're always in the mode of what can I get? What's bigger, especially for guys, right? We always want the next big thing. (laughs) And so the big part of the awakening was letting go of the things that I'd acquired, Hmm. like not using the Ferrari anymore, moving out of the big ranch that didn't feel right. That had like so many bedrooms, but it took, you know, 
a good few minutes to walk from one place to the other when I didn't really need it. And I talk about this gap, right, which is what we need versus what our ego needs. So let's just say that we need to live in a home and we can live in a $1,000 a month home or $2,000 a month home, but then we move into an $8,000 a month home. What do we need versus what is our ego need? And there's a gap there. So let's say that it's eight, you spend $10,000 a month, which is what I was spending, right? And then you've got a $2,000 a month, which is adequate. Well, there's $8,000 a month there being spent on your ego, <laughs> right? And so there was this gap, this very expensive gap. The Ferrari <laughs> lease alone was $3,100. Wow. And, and so part of the, the awakening was the letting go. Another one was about releasing shame that I had for 30 years. And another was one was... If we could dive in on that, what was the yeah. shame? So I write about this in the Black Bull book. So when I was young, I basically had a, I made out with a guy. It was a, I was about, you know, I was, I was experimenting when I was young. So that experience, I, I had, the, go on. Sorry, what age was that? Uh, I th it was around, it was around like seven, seven to 10. No, so seven to very seven. Young. To I mean, just coming online as far as sexual yep. identity, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so, but that was the, that was the dirty little secret that I was not going to tell anyone. Uh, that was the shame that, that, uh, that was always there. And so when I finally got that out and transformation happens through the throat massively, we talk about singing a lot, right? But, but vocally, if you can't express yourself or you've been shut down and you can't vocalize something, there's massive transformation that happens in the throat chakra. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. So if, if, you, if, there, if there's something that you're not willing to speak and speak up and get out to, to, and I talk about this in the book, which is different levels, like there's the level of like, it's in yourself. Then there's ne the next level of me maybe telling you privately because you're a friend. There's the next level of being able to tell us a group. There's the next level of being able to just it be like, own it. I'm, I'm on a podcast. I'm talking about it. I've spoken it a number of times. And when that came out, like it was acceptance because it was the thing that I was pushing down so much. Yeah. And that the, the sequence of the letting go, the releasing the shame, and you know, my increasing my self awareness more and more and more and more and more, I became into alignment, and then boom, I snapped. And that's when the video happened of the awakening. Wow! So that's where everyone's trying to get to that point of full self acceptance, but it takes for me, it took a series of things. Where now, like I used to, you know, I used to compare myself and say, well, I'm not making a million a month. And I always used to be rushing to like beat myself and compare myself. I don't, after that moment, I was like, I don't care. It just fell away. The interesting thing about alcohol was that like when we raise self-awareness and self-awareness can be raised by multiple things, right? Meditation, someone else bringing something into your awareness, you know, just so many different things raise awareness, right? But in that raising of awareness, I went to a party and then the following morning when I saw myself like drinking to fit in and I, and I caught what I was doing, I then decided that I didn't need to drink anymore and then alcohol fell away. So people were like, well, how, how hard was it to give up? But it wasn't because it just fell away. So the more that we raise our self-awareness, the more that we raise our consciousness, 
the more that we do the difficult things like going from fear into courage, like speaking up and verbalizing that through voice and speaking our truth. That's when we can finally come home to who we really are. Wow. What about the drugs? Was that a similar letting go or, or was that? Different? Well, that happened over time. So this is, a, this is another interesting one. So I, I started cocaine when I was a personal trainer. So I got introduced to it. And then, that set, I, then I was, you know, we know what the series of events is like, right? You, take, you have a drink and then we then we'll go to drugs and then we'll smoke. You know, because the smoking is a way to, you know, distract myself from, you know, not connecting. Because if I go outside, then I can smoke. And so I'm not having to have a conversation and connect with people. Um, so then that would create, you know, going out and going out from Friday night through to Sunday partying all the time. Mm -hmm. And so all of that fell away through the work I did on my mind, the meditation. But what jumped it a lot was going into the jungle into, down to Peru and doing ayahuasca that eliminated my drinking and smoking by like 80%. And then it was wow. the rest of the work that I did. Like when I came out of the jungle, when I went to like that, I would normally go binge drinking and smoking. I just didn't, it just wasn't there anymore. I didn't, it wasn't part of me. So I've done a little bit of research on that. It, it sounds like from, from what I understand, and maybe you know more than I do on this, but um, obviously when you have an addiction, you know, we talked about the, 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 neuronic pathways in your brain and an addiction fires a lot of those and it conditions a lot of those. So there's really is a habit there chemically and, and, and the neural pathways in your brain. So to break that can be extremely difficult, but I've heard um, with ayahuasca uh, DMT and some of these other um, uh, chemicals that it, it essentially like flushes out the brain or resets the brain, which therefore then, gives space for new choices and without, without all, you know, your brain lighting up, um, it, it kind of resets that. Are, are you aware of that or do you know any more about that? Have you done research on that? My understanding of ayahuasca and San Pedro and the plant medicines is that the spirit, a different spirit enters you to clear things out. It's like a cleansing. Right. So yes, it does start to rewire stuff, but it's like energetical, you know? So, um, Everyone has a different experience on those, on those medicines. Like I could only stay in the jungle for like four out of the five days. Um, what, but what was like, your experience like on that? Um, it was tough. It was a lot of um, emotional release. You know, one of the big, uh, a lot around what it does and accelerates is, is getting the emotion out of what you've buried. So typically what happens is we have a trauma, we have an event which strikes us, but then we don't, we don't express it and get it out. And so we don't integrate. So a lot of what I learned with Tony in, in, in India, when I did, when I did that experience with oneness was around how we can use a meditation as a way to release blocks by, um, f getting out the emotion. Like there's a thing called cry therapy. So think about that. Right. And it's hugely powerful. So many guys, especially they don't want to show that, uh, vulnerability of tears and so we suppress we suppress we suppress so cryotherapy for example which you can tap into through meditation and there's a way that I, i'll talk about the shower in a minute but that cryotherapy basically gets the emotion out because certain words may trigger you to you know to cry and so cryotherapy is about getting out of tears getting out of tears because now you're reliving prior experiences and actually you know allowing the emotion to come out and push out 
So there's been many times in meditation where I've purposefully gone into a space where I've brought back a previous experience, which then suddenly brings out tears. And then I finally, I feel lighter. And the reason I mentioned the shower, which is like the shower is a portal for uh, presence, right? So when we're in the shower, what the shower rain does on top of us is bring us into presence. And in that presence, then we can flush out. So sometimes you'll feel like there's something here. There's something in my chest. There's something that I can't get out. I I feel like I want to, I don't know what it is. Go into the shower or get present or go into meditation and then feel that block, that 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 heaviness which is just energy and, and actually focus on bringing it up through the neck through the neck and then suddenly boom the emotion comes out and you've just had a release that release is not just tears or emotion it's energetics that you've that you've you've blocked for years mm-hmm. it's an event that's been like you got someone shouted at you or someone did something to you and you you didn't express yourself which is where what i'm talking about earlier about the the throat that self-expression is so important there's something so important, which is saying what we're not saying, right? The thing that we're not saying that we're feeling is probably the thing that's going to break us free. Huh. Yeah, that's deep. Yeah, but it's transformational, you know, and, and I talk about tr- true transformation, again, not being physical, but when life is never the same again, you know, when you, you know, I've helped people reconnect with family members that they've not spoken to in 16 years because they've, had this blockage, they've had this belief or, you know, for example, alcohol falls away and now it's not part of your life or you think about things differently and just more present. You know, one of the things I do want to talk about uh, just briefly, which is I would always hear this thing around like, be more present with me, like presence, presence, presence. And I'm like, I just want to freaking make money. Right? <laughs> right. And so I didn't get it. But after I had the awakening, I was like present in the moment of, of fully understanding what it's like to experience that, but more importantly, what it's like for someone else to experience presence where you actually want to be there and you don't want to be distracted by your phone or anything else because you understand that by disconnecting, you're actually missing out on the quality with that person because it's a, we, you know, we're brought up in a society which is when you get this, then you'll be successful. So for so many entrepreneurs, what they're doing is, is they're making money. They're they're trying to reach this place where if I do this and I present this to the person that I love, they'll, they'll accept me and they'll think I'm awesome. They'll think I'm the shit. Mm -hmm. No, they just want you to be fucking present with them for 15 minutes. Yeah. You know? And so everything that we want, we can experience in that moment, but we're so delusional to think that all of the things that we're going for, is gonna is gonna you know make us uh, who we who we are when who we already are is here and there's a great quote by uh, Jim Carrey's spiritual uh, teacher Jeff Foster and he says depressed is the need for deep rest yeah. from the character that you've been playing right and so we're all playing a fucking crack character most of the time and I was you know I was I was I was this version of Simon that wasn't truly um, living and, and being the real Simon Lovell where now I feel like I'm in my full authenticity. It doesn't mean that I'm not stressed. It doesn't mean that the shit doesn't come up that I have to deal with. It's that I don't live in the place of anxiety. I don't, my home is not fight or flight. The place that I'm spending most of my time is not in comparison to others and fear. It's in the present moment, like in full acceptance that I can deal with whatever's going to come up uh, for me moving forward. Mm-hmm. How do you, um, 
how do you deal with stress and shit that comes up now versus back then for, for somebody that's listening and mm. going, well, great. How do, how, how do I mean, it's still stressful. So isn't it the yeah. same thing? Why, why is it different now? Well, silence, you know, everyone's probably heard on, on every podcast and everywhere that meditation is good for you. So don't think that we need to harp on, on that message. Um, but what most people do, um, and this is what I used to do was use meditation as a way to relieve stress. So I get stressed and then I do something to feel better, but that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is, is understand that every single day, like brushing your teeth, you need to ground yourself. And through that consistency of grounding yourself, like the consistency of brushing your teeth or exercising, you're going to find out and you're going to awaken and you're going to experience life where you're not as stressed because you've done that work. So no longer are you using meditation as a post-stressed tool, but you're meditating every day so that when something comes up, it doesn't stress you. Mm-hmm. And there's the big shift mm-hmm. is that most people use meditation post-event post and meditation, we should, everything else is a distraction. So back in the, you know, whatever we want to call it, medieval times or you know caveman days yeah. caveman days right we spent a lot of time in in that place of being present and being in silence but now everything is distracting us through someone else's agenda someone else's construct mm-hmm. someone else's thing that they've put together to distract us and take us away from who we really are And so we have to consciously. Oh, you there? Hello? Uh, I lost you. Shoot. You you there? You're back. Okay. I lost you there for a minute. Not sure what happened. My mouse has died, I think. Um, all right. So, uh, do you, do you know where you're at? Could you pick back up? Um, so do you want me to start off around the meditation thing? Yeah. Yeah. We can just go right back into that. Okay. So most people use meditation as something to do after your stress to calm down. But the biggest piece that we're missing is that we need to ground ourselves every day as a non-negotiable so that we bring up enough self-awareness so that the thing that happens doesn't stress us as much. Mm. And I noticed this with having a puppy. So when I first got a puppy and I was less conscious, then I would react really badly to these situations where he would shit all over the house. And as I got more conscious... And I did my meditation and I was not doing it as a tool to calm down from the shit on the floor, but I was <laughs> meditating more consistently. What I found is that when he shit, I didn't react in the way that I did prior. Mm-hmm. And so that reaction is just, is triggering every, every action that triggers us into a stress response 
is coming from something in our past, mm-hmm. you know, because we're expecting it to be a different way. The puppy shouldn't shit. No, we need to create the environment so it doesn't shit in that place. Yeah. And so we don't take responsibility, right? It's like with, with, with children, it's the same thing. Like the children acts up and then we go, we blame the child instead of going, well, I actually create this whole, I created this environment for this to happen. So mm. it's about us not taking responsibility. And well, so we, and, we, want, to, we uh, want to shift blame. Well, just the obvious uh, fact too, that like a puppy is a puppy. Right. <laughs> puppy shit on the floor. Kids are kids. They're going to be, you know, they're, they're going to do. Right. Those and, kind of things. But we don't accept, we don't accept what is from puppies or children or other people because we don't accept ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's an interesting connection. Yeah. I, uh, I've, I've, as I mentioned to you prior to the start of this call that, uh, I got a new puppy recently and she's certainly been testing me. She's been so much work. Um, the other day we went to the dog park and it's 30 degrees out. And I, it was one of those things where I was like, I have so much stuff left to do, but I haven't really gotten to exercise her much today. So I'm just going to run over the, to the, to the dog park, have her run around. And, uh, sure enough, we get there and there's a, a little mud puddle. And the only dog in the whole freaking place is my dog that goes flying into this thing. And I'm, and the, you know, everybody starts laughing, but on the inside, I'm just seething because it's just driving me crazy. Cause now I have to, she's going to make the car messy and then I have to take her home. And this is why, because the dog's being just like a child, the dog is being present, being fully present yeah. and playing. Yep. And as adults, we aren't being presents to play anymore. No, I and certainly so, wasn't. And so what we're doing is we're going, well, we're jumping into the future going, well, if this happens, then this will happen and this will happen. And now I don't want this to happen. Mm-hmm. And so what, this is such a trigger for people because it's raising where we need to find in ourselves our own presence, presence and play again. Where am I not being fun again? Why can I not experience this as a fun moment where the, the dog is just being playful and he's doing what he wants to do or the child is just in the moment scribbling on the walls because they've just tapped into their creative creativity. Mm-hmm. Like we all want to freaking scribble on the walls and be, and, and, uh, you know, right. But, no, but not if we have a, a construct in our head of everything should be tidy because that we, that's what we were taught from our parents. Yeah. Like, dogs and children are such the perfect lesson of like chill the fuck out yeah it's very true there's that great video that um you've probably seen where the little kid it's it's raining a little bit outside he's got the the raincoat on you know the little hooded yellow raincoat and he's walking his dog and it's a little bit of an older dog and they're walking along and they're the kid walks halfway past this puddle and looks at the puddle and stops and just jet, bends down and gently puts down the leash, the dog, and walks over to the puddle, jumps full in, two feet, splash, huge splash, steps out of the puddle, bends over, picks up the leash, and just keeps on walking. Like, just, mm-hmm. it had to get out. Like, I, I can't not jump into the puddle. I'm a kid. This is what I do. It's an incredible, spontaneous moment. It's a beaut- It's just, it's so funny to just watch it because it was just, well, sure. Obviously, I have to jump in the puddle. That's what, that's what I do. The, the dog leash is such, I find, an amazing gift. 
Do you know why? You know, when you have a dog and you have a dog on a lead, you notice how much you're pulling that dog to your direction of where you want to go instead mm-hmm. of letting the dog roam. Like Buddha, he will, he will be sniffing flowers and he'll want to just sniff flowers and be present with something for like just a few seconds and I'll be pulling him away mm. and not give him that gift. Mm. Right? We're always trying to pull the dog where if we let the dog do what it wants to do, we're experiencing the dog in the place that it wants to be. And every time we're pulling that dog, we're pulling the dog away from it, the own life, its own life that we want it to lead. And that, that's the lesson of life, which is we're so trying to control people. Now, I'm not saying the dog should run into the road or go where the hell it wants to go. I'm saying that, that if you walk a dog on its lead, give it some slack and actually go with it and let it be there for a few moments because the dog is giving you the gift of being present with the dog in the moment of its presence with the flower. Oh, that's interesting. Are you, are you aware of uh, Cesar Milan? Do you know who that is? No, I haven't. There's a, there's a show. Um, he's had a few shows now. Uh, uh, shoot, a uh, dog whisperer, I think it was mm-hmm. called. And um, so he understands dog psychology and talk about transformation. It's really fascinating. People will come to him with a troubled dog. Uh, it always barks or it's overprotective or, you know, whatever. And um, he starts to work quote unquote with the dog. But what he's really doing is he's helping the person um, transform. And oftentimes what you'll see is the person will, and, and this is, this contradicts a little bit about what you were saying. I, I understand the value of what you were saying, but it contradicts a little bit from a, from a dog owner perspective with what you were just saying, where a lot of people will just let their dog do whatever. And what they're not recognizing is they're not expressing leadership. Dogs are pack animals and they look for alpha energy. And if you're not presenting yourself with, hey, I'm the leader, the dog will assume that role. And so oftentimes a dog will, if they're overprotective, it's because they think that like their, their feeling is, is you're not, you're not expressing um, that you've got it together, that you've got, that you've got the ownership and the leadership. So I'm going to take that role. So I'm going to protect you. And so it's always stressed out, which is always creating, you know, moments of wanting to reach out and lash out and bite something or somebody or a dog or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so Caesar walks them through. It's, it's, it's really remarkable. It's incredible to watch. Hey, stand up straight. Put put your shoulders back. Dogs pick up on, on that energy. They'll see the presence. Walk with your head up, chin up. He always talks about calm assertiveness, grounded assertiveness. You're intentional. You're clear. You know where you're going, but you're grounded. It's, and so when people start to do that and they hold the leash, you see the dog, the dog relax and go, oh, I can, I can relax because I see you are scanning. You're, you're protecting. You're leading. And the dog then just shifts into that more of a, a pack animal to follow. Uh, it's, it's I, I mean, I, I, to- I totally agree with that. I, I also feel that we're, especially entrepreneurs with dogs, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Use that as a caveat. We're, we're rushing. Yeah. You know? oh, 100%. We're yeah. rushing. So we want to rush to get somewhere and get the dog somewhere. So I like to like use that as a slow down on the walk. You know, mm-hmm. because do I really need to rush and get back to the computer again? Right. You know? Yeah. No, there's animals are such a gift for that presence. Yeah. Um, have you, have you worked with horses at all? <laughs> Every time someone says horse to me, I just think of the horse going up and I going down and my balls getting stuck. 
So the work you've done with horses is, is a little different than what I'm, what I'm referencing, but uh, I was at a, um, at a personal development conference one time and we were doing this high ropes course where, you know, you tested your fears and jumping off the of tall towers and all this kind of stuff. And um, the lady who was facilitating it, I got to chatting with her and I find out that she lived close to where I lived because we were out in California when, uh, when I was taking this course and she said, Oh, come on by. Uh, I teach training leadership through, uh, equestrian exercises or whatever. And I was like, oh, that sounds fascinating. I got to go check this out. So when I got back home, I drove out to her place. She's out in Kansas city. She's had beautiful 50 acre farm with all these beautiful horses. And uh, so we get out there and she goes, what do you know about horses? You know, t tell me a little bit about what you know about horse psychology. And I'm like, ah, I, I don't know a lot. As I said, I'm assuming it's a lot like dog psychology. And she immediately was like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, she said, dog psychology is about do this or else. It's very alpha, right? And you see that in wolves, you watch a nature show or whatever, and you see the uh, alpha wolf. If somebody steps out of line, it's, hey, you know, get in line. Um, she said, horse energy is much more um, permission-based. It's much more uh, 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 collective choice together, um, which is interesting because horses are in the wild are um, led by the mares, by the females. Mm -hmm. And so it's this, this accumulative choice leadership together. So mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, so that's fascinating. So, she, so then she goes into the ring. There's a circular ring that she steps into. There's a horse on the outside, uh, on the uh, edge of the inside of the ring. And she picks up this little switch in the middle and she turns and looks at the horse and she kind of flicks her wrist and it snaps the little uh, thing. And the horse is like, oh, and it starts to walk. And without saying a word, you know, she's turning and facing the horse as it's walking around the, out, uh, the inside of this ring. She flicks her wrist again. The horse starts to trot. She flicks her wrist again. The horse starts to walk, flicks it again, and it stops. And then it, it took her, you know, 45 seconds, 60 seconds to demonstrate this. She puts the lead down. She walks out and she goes, okay, now you do it. So I'm like, well, I'm thinking to myself, well, this is basic. This is going to be easy. So I walk in the middle of the ring, pick up the thing, flick my wrist. I'm, and I'm, in my head, I'm doing the exact same thing that she's doing, right? Flick my wrist and the horse just is like chewing on whatever. And it like looks over at me like, you're a dumbass. And just stands there. And I'm like, how, how do you not, in, you know, how do you not know what to do? I literally, you literally just did this. And so I like do it again. I do it again. So she goes, all right, put it down. Come on over. Let's chat for a second. She goes, what's going on in your head? And I'm like, I, I feel like it knows what it should be doing. Like, I feel like it should know that I'm doing the exact same thing that you just did. And it just doesn't like me or whatever. And she mm -hmm. said, she said, no, not at all. She's like, you're, you're not being intentional. I said, what do you mean? She's like, let me ask you a question. When you, when your kids' rooms are messy, do you go to them and you say, Hey, I, I kind of think, you know what you should do here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a dad. You should probably just listen to me. Like go clean your room. Like, are you that questioning or, and I, and immediately when she said that, of course, as a father, I'm like, Oh, I know exactly the energy you're talking about. Like go clean your room. Like it needs to be done now. There's, there's that energy behind it. So I was like, ah, I got it. So walked over, went into the middle again. And she also gave me a little tip for anybody who's interested. She said, horses are drive animals. Um, 
so the energy that you project to them needs to be on their hind quarters. That little, that little, that little difference. You're not talking to, you know, as a human being, we want to talk to somebody's face, right? So before I was talking to the horse's face. And uh, so then I was projecting the energy to its ass basically to, to drive it, to push it forward. So, but I did it in the energy of, Hey, I'm the leader. I'm in control right here. Everything's okay. Go. And, and I, I, again, I, on the external, I'm sure I did the exact same thing the same way, mm. but horses especially are such amazing animals to sense the presence and the mm. energy. And so it's a great tool to practice on the inner game because the outer game, you're right. Oftentimes it's irrelevant or, or it's ineffective or it's, yeah, go ahead. This, this reminds, this reminds me of a YouTube video I found once of, um, of a guy who goes into like a, a tiger's cage and then just like meditates and the tiger doesn't attack him doesn't attack him okay. yeah because of his energy uh, you know i wouldn't should we just do a disclaimer for your listeners sure that they should not attempt to go into a the tiger's uh, cage that's, and meditate yeah um so but yeah you're right like the, the energy that we emit you know you know everyone everyone knows the whole phrase of you know you know it's the presence of someone in a room mm-hmm. you know the same thing so the way well we must learn how to how to cultivate our energy and understand that in order to come out of reaction or in order to um present ourselves in a confident place for an interview or to negotiate or to do anything in business it's the energy that we put ourselves into first even coming down to doing social posts like where it's coming from the intent like where the energy is in that moment We've all, you know, written a post and then deleted it because I we have the awareness that maybe I just was feeling shit and now I don't want to go attacking people, mm-hmm. you know, or react mm-hmm. to people or troll people or whatever, you know. So mm-hmm. energy is key. Hundred percent. Well, and and since we're on this sort of thread, nature is an incredible tool to help you get back to that home base of just grounded presence. Um, often because of animals, I had another experience where I was at a survival school, and very long story short, they um, taught us the, the guy that um, led the program. His name is Tom Brown. Fascinating, fascinating guy. Um, and he talks about this concept of wide angle lens and how um, he, he grew up with under the tutelage of a full-blooded um, Apache Native American. Uh, his best friend was part Native American. And so they grew up together out in the woods with this friend's grandfather, who he called grandfather. And so he was taught a lot of the Native American ways. Uh, and um, and then all, now he's teaching all those in his school. It's called Tracker School. It's, it's phenomenal. It's out in California and, and also one in uh, New Jersey. But anyway, so he talks about this thing called wide angle lens, where he said, you know, when the white man first came to a mountain range, white man typically was so focused, right? And there's value in that. There's, there's value in, in uh, direction and achievement and and having a goal and et cetera. But he said, the white man will look at a mountain range and see the tip of the mountain. He'll look at the mountaintop. He said, a Native American will come and look at that same exact mountain range, but he'll feel the dew on his skin. He'll sense the rodent off to his right. He'll feel the eagle soaring overhead. He'll notice the, the wind gently breezing and the, and the, you know, the fields of grain uh waving a little bit so it's like this full experience as opposed to whatever and so he's talking about the difference between this wide angle lens and narrow lens Mm -hmm. and he was sharing this story this is one of the most amazing stories i've i've heard and he's an incredible storyteller 
And I think that was, that was another Native American trait that he picked up as, is the storytelling. So he's telling this story and he said he was telling a friend of his who was an eye doctor. And he said, oh, that's really interesting that you go into this wide angle vision and then narrow vision. He said, if you're willing, let me study your eyes. I want to put you under this um, microscope basically to see what happens to your eyes when you go in and out of this wide angle lens. And he's like, sure, of course. So he goes to the doctor's office and he goes and he, and he said, okay, um, go into wide angle vision. And he goes, okay. And he's, you know, he's sensing and experiencing the full experience. He goes, okay, now go into, you know, focused vision. And he goes, okay. And so he did that a few times. And then finally the doctor goes, wow, this is fascinating. And uh, Tom was like, why, what's going on? He said, nothing's happening to your eyes. Your eyes are staying a hundred percent the exact, like there is zero change. And then that's when Tom was, he's like, there really is no wide angle vision. He's like, there's only wide angle thinking and tunnel vision. And you know, that's, that to me is like, you're talking about the go, 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 go. That is the, the symptom of somebody who's tunnel minded. They're so focused and that they can't experience uh, the, the child in front of them that is being creative, that is being, you know, beautifully in the moment. Um, and nature has a really powerful way of snapping you back into that reality. Yeah. I found. Um, it's fascinating. Um, dude, so many different things. So wh- what are you doing now? Let's, let's share with people a little bit about what, uh, what work you're on. Well, I, I stopped, you know, part of the letting go process was, um, stopping marketing the business which I'd created called Fitpreneurs, which helped personal trainers. And as much as I was helping them with mindset as well as sales marketing, you know, I created that under a very different version of, of me. And that's one of the traps of, of self-development that we need to be aware of, which is the more that you grow on yourself, if you're running a business, the business might start to feel off. It might start to feel heavy. And that's what happened to me. And I, I, I've worked and helped a lot of people. And then I have to also help them rebrand and reposition because of that growth, right? You grow spiritually, your, your, your thoughts change, what you, the way that you like, look at life changes. So of course, the business that you once developed and, and, and started suddenly can feel um, alien, you know? And then you suddenly, things start to break down. And if you don't look at that, then it's going to continue. So I let go of fitpreneurs and, and stop marketing that business. And after the awakening, I, you know, going through fitpreneurs, I always said to myself, you know, true transformation is not just physical. It's, it's when, you know, you become the catalyst to change where, for example, I always use the example of, you know, my mom and my sister who didn't speak for, you know, seven years and now they're best of friends, you know, that's transformation where mm-hmm. you're reconnecting relationships or you don't, you know, just, you know, alcohol falls away from you. So I launched a, um, a business called true transformation, which is like a coaching business, mentorship business, but really helping people get to the, to the place in my life where I'm not just so focused on one thing, but I'm now experiencing a different quality of life with depth, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm no longer asking that question, where am I leading myself to? Because I'm fully okay with who I am right now. And, and that's a big thing, which is, you know, we use, I use the example of a book a lot. You know, a lot of people have been writing a book for like six years because they're waiting for the perfect time for it to come out. And, you know, it has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Like we need to accept ourselves for who we are right now and accept mm-hmm. ourselves that tomorrow our, our opinions may change. And in a week's time, we may cry. And in a, in a week's time after that, we may, you know, um, 
change something else about us, but accept like who we are fully right now in that we're always growing and we're mm -hmm. always evolving. But I think that the big challenge for a lot of people is, is that they want to accept themselves for a future version. Right. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. they, they don't, they don't fully embrace life because, well, maybe I'll do it in the future. And so full acceptance is about owning who you are right now, knowing that you'll change over time. And so true transformation is about um, cultivating a new breed of entrepreneur who wants to run their business from a different energy. Like I was always taught really mentally that business well, has to be a struggle. There has to be the hustle. There has to be that energy where like I'm breaking down and I can't have a quality of life in the process, mm -hmm. but it's just not true. Mm -hmm. And so now what I'm finding with the entrepreneurs I'm working with, which is they're aligning, they're coming into a different energy and they're running a business at the same time. And it does other things aren't breaking down at the same time. In mm -hmm. fact, they're now just happier in the relationships they're in. They're letting go of relationships. They're letting go of partnerships. One of the things I talk about a lot, which is like a balloon, right? In order for a balloon to rise, it can't have anything holding it down. And so oftentimes as entrepreneurs, we want to add new things. But the most important thing we can do, or I can do when I first start working with someone, is chop off any weights that are holding the balloon down from rising. Mm -hmm. And that's where we start to feel lighter. So, for example, if in our energy there's a toxic relationship, we've got to cut that cord to free up energy for us to be able to move into action. Entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur, running a business needs action. It needs force. Mm -hmm. It needs power. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. So that is so critical in the process of, of development of, of the new conscious heart-based entrepreneur that still wants to make money and give back and have passion and dreams, but also at the same time wants quality of presence, relationship of um, other aspects of their life integrated you know, and mm -hmm. fun. Because mm -hmm. I think for me, what happened was I started to grow a business, but I lost the fun side of me. Mm -hmm. I lost the, the true me. Mm. Uh, actually is super creative and can be, you know, really fun and goofy. Mm -hmm. You know, we ever, you ever, you've ever, ever met someone and you're like, do you know what? With all my previous partners, I've just been a miserable shit. And with you, like, I just seem to be like a goofball and be myself. Do yeah. you bring the best out of me? Not the worst. Yeah. I think it's the same for, for, for working with entrepreneurs and, and that, that's the very same thing. So that's what yeah. I believe true transformation is. That's a great name, by the way. Great. Thank great. you. Yeah, brand positioning, et cetera. But um, uh, you mentioned earlier in the call how you've obviously gone through the journey yourself and that you've transformed yourself and that you look at things differently now. For somebody that's listening, give them a very clear picture of what life is like for you now. Mm. Like you wake up and what do you experience versus, you know, we heard a little bit before about <laughs> you driving around the neighborhood just so people would look at you. I mean, talk about ego, right? Trying right. to feed that ego. Mm -hmm. What is it like today, Simon, when you wake up? What is life? What is that experience like to give somebody a sense of vision and what, what life can be like if they're stuck in that tunnel mindedness, that tunnel vision? Mm -hmm. ego That's a great driven. question. So for me, it's about, I, I talked about the rushing. When the, when the ego is active, it will create like a impatience, right? And so that shadow of impatience can get you so far, but it's the patience now, which I'm, I've cultivated more. So when I get up in the morning, I don't have that need. I don't have that. I still have desire, 
I still have desire and aspiration and goal and passion, but I don't have that need because I need to, to, to beat someone else, to, um, to do it from a place where I'm coming from lack instead of, of abundance. Like I feel like if I don't do something and I'm not good enough, I'm not, I'm not, I'm competing with myself. I'm, I'm doing this for me and I'm doing this for the greater good and, and doing it from a mu much more grounded place. So yes, I still need to, I, I still need to make sure my nutrition's on track and I still need to get the training in. And I still need to do my meditation, but also I'm holding boundaries and I'm, I'm not getting to the point in my business where my shoulders are aching. I'm on the computer at like three o'clock in the morning and everything is just, um, like draining me because now I'm putting me first. Self-care is the priority. Like mm -hmm. I'm number one. If I, I, I say this, which is I don't start my day until I feel good because if I don't feel good and I'm not in a good energy, then the interactions with my team, the interactions with myself, like everything else is going to be a shit show. Mm -hmm. So the most important th per person that you can focus on as, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner is like your own health, your own mental strength, your own, uh, care for you, you know? And so that's what my life is like now. It's, it's just running my business from a different energy. That's not fight or flight. That's not comparison. That's not based on me not being good enough. I'm running my bus business from a different foundation. Mm -hmm. I'm not building my business from a place of not being good enough. I'm building my business from a place of knowing myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of the work that I do with helping men, reclaim their fire, get grounded, et cetera. Like we talk about the, uh, as I'm sure you're well aware, obviously with the Tony Robbins background, the, the psychological path that we go on and how, um, we go from a selfish state to a unselfish state. How do we, you know, give energy away and serve and create, um, and then ultimately becoming a King, uh, the metaphorical King where it's all about expansion. You have something that you've created and then it's all about expansion. So I love that idea that you were just talking about where, um, it's, it's not trying to go out and get something. It's about service, creating something of service and then expanding that for a greater good. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think once the ego starts to dissolve and, and fall away more, then that just becomes a natural being, a place of being, you know? And so, so many people are craving for someone to be there and just be with them. But in order to do that, we've got to be, be able to be there with ourselves. And that means yeah. looking deep into, into what's going on and not again, hiding. But the first step of transformation is admitting the truth of admitting what's really going on. Mm -hmm. And that may come through inspiration. Most likely though, it'll come through some hitting a rock bottom, you know, an emotional rock bottom. Yep. Yeah. Um, if somebody's interested in, in contacting you and um, talking to you a little bit further, where can they go? Facebook is the uh, easiest place. Uh, also, simonlevel.com and also truetransformation.com. Okay. Excellent. And level is spelled L-O-V-E-L-L. Double L. Yeah. Yep. L-L. Um, yeah. Love with two L's at the end. They even put love in my name. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's beautiful. Well, Simon, man, this, this is a good stopping point. I appreciate your time today and sharing the journey, um, the hero's journey. I, I mentioned that earlier and, and uh, uh, the external battles and the internal challenges. Uh, you've been living the life of a hero. That's phenomenal. And I love that you're uh, in service of others. So again, thank you for your time today and sharing some wisdom. Thank you so much.